Oh, yes. You despise me, don't you? The following is not intended for younger listeners. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the private detective's clients. Now, we may present the stuff that this podcast is made of. Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. We should mention this at the top of the episode. Um, we had some unfortunate news in the uh, the world of filmmaking, and it's it's always sad when, when this stuff happens, obviously. Uh, we lost Richard Donner. And we lost Robert Downey Sr. Uh, literally today, the news broke that we lost him. Yeah, Richard Donner. I feel like he, in a weird way, even though he's directed a lot of very popular movies, he's oddly underrated as a as a director. Yeah, uh, it's a good point. Honestly, like, I mean, you talk. I feel like people talk about his movies a lot, but they don't really ever talk about him necessarily. The only one that I can ever think of that ever gets brought up the most is Superman. But, like, you know, he did The Goonies. He did Lethal Weapon. Didn't he do The um, the Omen? Yeah. That was him as well. I think it just shows you he he, he also was just a... He, he could fit into a lot of um, a lot of genres. And um, he knew how to make a popular, like, a popular, like, kind of movie. And I think that's kind of a severely... It's kind of an underrated talent, especially, you know... In, in an age of like we get so many like blockbusters but he he was so good at it and like he is also one of my favorite people to watch get interviewed and to you know go behind his process on things like i don't know if you remember on the dark knight blu-ray many years yeah ago, there was that bonus feature with him and christopher nolan which i thought was one of the best bonus features on any disc ever that's why i kept one of my dark knight like blu-rays because it wasn't on like the four i don't think it was on the 4k set that came out a couple years later so i had to keep it um but i mean yeah i mean it's also important for us too i mean superman the movie of course is a very important movie for both of us um you know and it, it's it's the wor- the world would be very different without the works of richard donner i mean i definitely count superman amongst like some of my all- one of my all-time favorite movies and i mean we talked about it on the show it was like the third episode we ever did was talking about Superman. I like to think of that as like our first like real episode of the show in a way. I feel like that was the one where, you know, I felt like the two dudes like show sort of like starts in a way if you want to start this. Sh- I mean, the first two episodes are fine for what they are. But when we talk about like though, Superman though our- that first one, I didn't have a proper microphone and that'll that'll haunt me to this day. I think that's the one thing that well, keeps yeah, me that, from ever like not listening even to just, that. Not one. even just, <laughs> not it's even an OCD just that, thing, but, really. Uh, may may he may he rest in peace. Um, what a guy! But also Robert Downey Senior, um, of course, uh, the father Robert Downey Junior. But also made a lot of um, interesting films. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his movies. Not off the top of my head, no. If I'm being honest. Because Criterion put out an Eclipse box set, which Eclipse is like a bo- I guess like a series that Criterion has of like DVD only movies, where it's like about like a specific genre or specific actor, or specific filmmaker, 
And one of those uh, sets was about Robert Downey Sr. And that included... The only movie I've seen in this set uh, is Putney Swope, which is a very interesting movie. Um, definitely recommend checking it out. Um, I'm not going to say much. <laughs> I just think you should just go into it blind. It's one of those movies. All right. Okay. <laughs> that's always that's always a fun time. Obviously, you know everybody talks about his son a lot because Robert Downey Jr. was you know biggest one of the biggest movie stars in, in the world. Definitely look into the filmography of uh, of Robert Downey Sr. He's like I said, Putney Swope by itself is just an interesting, just a strange, <laughs> uh, it really interesting uh, movie. But may he may he rest in peace. Yes. Um. May they may they both rest in peace. Outside of that, it's, it's always a rough way to start an episode like that, but it's always necessary, I think. Um, we both have had uh, haven't really talked to each other in the past week because we had some we had some big busy weeks, the two of us. So I'm gonna let you start. What did you do last week, Joey? Well, I went to Disney World. What? Yeah, <laughs> you didn't tell so, me. <laughs> yeah, so I this was sort of a very last minute trip. Um, that I went, I took with, you know, members of my family, uh, and I mainly did it cause I, I was able to find a reasonable price for a flight and they had room for me in their hotel, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you so much guys. And, um, I, I spent three days, uh, I make three full park days in Disney. And let me tell you, like, it was definitely an interesting experience, um, looking at that because, just from different perspectives, like obviously one of the big things people talk about is COVID. Like yeah. what, what is it like? What's it like in the parks? And it's, it's definitely interesting. Like, you know, cause Disney says, well, if you're vaccinated, you don't need proof of vaccination, but if you're vaccinated, you can have your mask off at all places except for Disney transportation. So like if you're on the Disney monorail or Disney bus, even if you're vaccinated, you have to wear a mask on the bus. I, I, but I pretty much wore it pretty much everywhere except we had a lot of rain on this trip, like towards the end of it. Elsa's coming up and, uh, you know, a lot of rain. Like I was in Animal Kingdom and I felt like for a solid half hour, I was underneath some like, I was underneath some shade near the exit of Dinosaur, you know, but I gotta say, like I rope drop like the three parks I went to all three days and it was one of the best experiences I've had at Disney in my life because I never waited more than an hour for anything. That's beautiful. And a lot of people are like, oh, what about Fast Pass? And I'm like, if you get to the parks early enough and you have a, like, a coherent strategy of what you're doing, you don't need Fast Pass. Fast Pass, like, especially the way Disney was doing it lately, was just making the standby lines longer. And they distributed way too many like Fast Passes. Um, the only thing is, I've been hearing that Disneyland Paris is experimenting with a paid fast pass service, which would work for like a paid like service per ride per person, which sounds absolutely insane. And it really is just going to make, I mean, I, I think part of that, I, I don't mind as an idea because I don't think everybody's going to do the paid fast pass. Basically. It's not like fast pass before where you got it for free. You got it with your park admission, and it was just way too many fast passes out there. Now it's a matter of you have to pay to get into this service, which has its own caveats, I'll, I'll say. You know, and there's mm -hmm. some dangerous things that something Disney was offering for free before. Now they're charging. But again, 
I don't know. A lot of these things Disney, I feel like, has wanted to do for the longest time, and COVID has just given them the that free opportunity reign to do. Yeah, it's given them the excuse to do a lot of different things that they weren't able to do before. Um, that said, like, there's not much social distancing distancing going on, like, th- th- which is you know, yeah, it, it, it's what it's what it is, and it's just weird because they try to maintain capacity in some places, and in other places they can't or don't it's so it's a little flip floppy, but I will say one thing I did like was security was way better than I've ever experienced it before. You walk through security and if you know, if you have something they'll, they'll look into it more, but if you don't, they let you go through. So you're not having as many like security people like go through your bags. Like every time, like you used to be have to, if you had a bag, you had to have a security guy go through it every single time and you have to go through a metal detector or some sort of thing anyway. Uh, One thing I will also say too, is a lot more mobile ordering of food. There's a lot more things you have to do with the app at Disney basically, or you have to do a lot of QR code scanning. I know I'm going on and on about my Disney trip, but there's a lot, like if you're looking to go now, this is what you're going to have to look at basically. Like, mobile ordering is going to be the thing. Like, if you don't have that Disney app, there's going to be some places where you're not going to be able to eat. Like, um, Casey's Corner just opened up, and I think that's all mobile ordering. And you're going to have to, you have to use the app. And I know people get frustrated with that, but that's sort of the name of the game. But um, other than that, I, I thought as a, as a trip outside of going during COVID and all that, it was one of the better trips I've had because I was able to get so much done in such a short amount of time. Like I didn't go to Epcot, but I basically did anything that was worth doing in Magic Kingdom, in Hollywood Studios, and that includes Rise of the Resistance, by the way, and which is an incredible attraction. And I did everything. I, I did everything in Animal Kingdom before eleven o'clock. Like basically everything in Animal Kingdom I did before eleven o'clock. So that's what I was doing. That does sound not to you know be punny, but that does sound partly magical i mean given given all the stuff that you had to go through but at least you had fun and you got to be with your family yeah no and that that was really that was really awesome just getting to be with them you know especially with like the last year we haven't had that many opportunities to to gather yeah a number of them have been vaccinated which is good and it was just it was just nice to have a trip like that and we're we're trying to get something together for 2022 with everybody um right you know so hopefully knock on knock on wood that works out um I'm sorry I've dominated a lot of this, but but how, <laughs> how are you doing? No, I mean, if you're excited about something, then then it's fine. You just go on. No, so like you, I also had a pretty full week. Uh, <laughs> um, my my folks were also in Florida. They were in Miami Beach at the Fountain Blue for their because I mean you know they've been wanting to go on a trip for a while too. Obviously, like everybody, I'm sure. And so that just meant I was by myself with my dog, uh, which was nice, admittedly. <laughs> it's, you know, it's you know nothing against my parents, but I, I like having a moment to myself. But I used that time to finish my Fast and Furious video, which I uploaded today. It's 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 a thing. <laughs> it's a little bit more than than I probably expected it to be, but it it's it's something. It, it really is something, folks. You should definitely, like, after you could pause this or after you listen to this, definitely check out that video. It's it's really just fabulous. I appreciate that. It's it, it kind of turned into a short film, maybe a video essay kind of thing. 
I, I just had more open area and more more time to just like go crazy with it and there's kind of a plot that that runs through it yes. so like yeah <laughs> <laughs> essentially it's it's me talking about my experience with the fast and the furious video uh movies watching those movies but also it brings into question a, a guess or a prediction that I have for how it's going to all wrap up. Either I'm going to like regret every moment that I spent with those movies or I'll become the biggest fan of those movies of all time. And well, I don't want to spoil how it ends, but you, you find out how, what ends up happening if it is even those two things or, you know, so it's pretty wild. My favorite thing was, uh, just, outside of the openness and being able to just roam around places without disturbing anyone. Um, I finally got to use my lights properly. Like I've used my lights for every video I've done for our YouTube channel, but, uh, I have, I never really got to use the gels. So I never really get to have like proper coloring or proper like colored lights and anything. So, uh, I have like green backgrounds, blue backgrounds, red backgrounds, uh, pink, I lit my face. I use natural lighting uh, with uh, just the weather being fairly decent on some days last week. Here, it was it was it was actually a lot of fun. Though my dog hated it. She was mad at me the whole time because it was just it was so awkward. Because I had to like I turned all the lights off in the house. It was like two in the morning. I turned the TV off, and I just lit like certain sections to get a like when I there's a scene where I use a projector. And, uh, she really hated that because she had no clue what was going on. So I, I, I props to my dog <laughs> for, for, for not like, you know, freaking out and letting me get through those scenes. Um, so that's pretty much what I did. Uh, I had a lot of fun making it, so I hope you guys watch it and I hope you like it. Regardless of if you agree with my my thoughts on the Fast and the Furious movies, it's it's just I had fun. It's always just interesting to watch, and I hope you keep going with those like cinematic blind spot videos because I always find them like I find them always really fascinating. Honestly, I appreciate it. I don't know if I'll go that elaborate next time. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, mostly just because of again openness and time, but. Uh, I might use more special lighting in, in the future. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. But you're next now. Because I, I did my video. So now it's your turn. Yeah, I haven't done a two dudes pick up, a dude two's uh, pickups in a while. Um, and I picked up some stuff, you know, and some, some of it was pretty cool, I guess. But I, I've also been trying to plan out like other videos I could be doing. But I also just got into a job. I landed a job this summer. So. It's, it's t time is tight. So I don't imagine, I don't imagine you can, you would, you would have the time to do like some weird elaborate thing, unless you send me like 8 billion clips and I'm like, Oh God, Oh God, Joey, what do you want me to do? That'd be, that'd be too much work for both of us, quite frankly. <laughs> I'd still do it though. You know, I would. Oh, I know you would, but and I, it, I would would be, feel, it would be great. Be, I feel bad, but yeah. So definitely check out, uh, Richard's new video, but let's get on with the main part of our program. The, the actual, you know, double feature part of it all, you know, 
this episode's been a long time in the making. Um, my girlfriend, Allison, also the most frequent, like, guest of Two Dudes, One Double Feature, uh, requested this double feature a long time ago. A long time ago. And um, we do have some thoughts on this pairing, but off the surface, it is, like, you, you would think, yes. But <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> well... Uh, you know, on that on the note of how long ago this was, um, this was probably around the time we started doing it. So it was about maybe June, July, or like around the time we started doing the show. And I didn't even know it was that long or remember it was that long. Uh, but I remember when we were getting ready to do this episode, I sent a message to Allison saying like, hey, we're getting ready to do the episode you suggested. And she goes, now? <laughs> It's 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 just that a long time ago. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so it's just it was just kind of funny just how far how long it took for us to get to it, but we we should like we should make people make lovely suggestions to us sometimes and mm -hmm. we part but part of it though is we we want to sometimes with a movie you want to be in the right mindset to watch a movie. You know, um like sometimes like some of my favorite movies, I don't feel like watching them right now. But sometimes randomly on like a Tuesday after I had like a cheeseburger, I'll yeah, I'll watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine or some nonsense. Just whatever whatever you know. you're feeling at the time. And whatever, we, I mean yeah. we even changed the schedule a lot because of that. Yeah, exactly. It happens. Like you, yeah. you have no idea how many times we've had we've had calls where it's just like, Hey, can we change this? And we're like, Yeah. Like our next episode was one thing and then Joey was like, Listen, I have an idea. And so now it's something completely different. It's. I mean, it's still. It's. It's still what it. You'll see. <laughs> I am very excited for next week's, but this week is also very exciting because this is another uh, installment in me uh, taking Richard through a, a sort of a sort of cinematic blind spots for him, like move like essential like film school one hundred and one movies, and yeah. this is definitely this is definitely up there as one of those film school one hundred and one movies, and of course <laughs> we are talking about. The 1941 sort of proto-film noir uh, John Huston movie, The Maltese Falcon. This is a fact. <laughs> we are talking and about I think this movie. We are talking about this movie. This is the first Bo like real Bogart movie we've talked about on this show. I'm yeah. pretty sure. We don't because we, we haven't have we haven't really explored. I mean, we. I mean, we've talked about older movies, but there's, there's. It's kind of always surprising how often it takes us to get to like certain like old, old, old Hollywood film stars. Like, yeah. Have we even talked about Orson Welles yet? You know what the funny thing is? I think the first Orson Welles movie we're going to talk about uh, on this show is where he cameos at the end of one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows what that what that movie is. <laughs> this is very true. I forgot um, about that. So, so that just tells you what kind of show this is. <laughs> this is this yeah, but this is this is definitely it's it's sort of old in that you know it's I feel like it happens a lot, but I don't know I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, this is this is essentially this is our first time with Bogey, I believe. Y yeah, Bogart. You know, it, it, he's just an icon at this point. He, he really is just one of the most iconic stars of, of his era or any era. Like, I, I often see him, like, with, like, the likes of Elvis Presley, James Dean, 
uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, people who were like who who died way too young, because um, he he died in the in the fifties uh, of cancer, um, and he was one of those guys who who didn't become a star till later in his career. Like this was one of his first like really major parts, um, because he was. He had done a couple of like lead parts in smaller movies, like Black Legion. I think was like his first like lead in a movie, but nobody remembers Black Legion unless you're a hardcore Bogey fan. And he did High Sierra, which was one of his more like sympathetic characters. But again, I don't think he was he was even top build. I think Ida Lupino was top build in that one. Um, but this one was really like a big game changer for Bogart. Um, this was directed by John Huston. Um, you know. You know, you know Walter Houston. You know Angelica Houston's part. That's a big, big Hollywood family. It's like the Coppolas. It's like the Coppolas, yeah. And um, this is an adaptation of Dashiell Hammett's novel of the same name, The Maltese Falcon. Dashiell Hammett um, was a writer, was a mystery writer who also wrote Red Harvest, which was very influential. The Thin Man, which had a bunch of movies and sequels with you know, uh, you know with everybody and um like he was a pinkerton he was with the pinkerton detective agency uh back in the day so that's where a lot of his like influ like his stuff comes from uh so but the maltese falcon another interesting thing about the maltese falcon is that this is not the first adaptation of the maltese falcon no this is the you said it was the third one correct the, th the third one, because the first one that was made by Warner Brothers uh, was called The Maltese Falcon, which made money, but nobody remembers it. Then the second adaptation came out five years later, 1936, and it was retitled and more of a comedy as Satan Met a Lady. And then we got this version uh, from 1941, which is the most fa is the most famous version by far. Um, it kind of it kind of made me think of Willy Wonka a little bit. Because Warner Brothers kind of did that with him, like with the the Gene Wilder version, Johnny Depp, and then of course uh, Timothy Chalamet is coming with his own version of Willy Wonka. So it's kind of in that ballpark, though it's in reverse as far as fame and and belovedness. But you know, but also too like the distance, but the distance in years between those movie versions is 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 kind of significant in comparison to Maltese Falcon because over the period of 10 years there was three Maltese Falcon movies made at Warner Brothers mm -hmm. which is kind of wild in and of itself. Um they really so, wanted to adapt that book. <laughs> yes. They wanted to adapt the book and also of note too this was John Huston's uh, directorial debut. He was a writer at Warner Brothers and they gave him a shot at directing and um this was so this was like a smaller movie smaller budget and it became a hit and it was nominated for a couple oscars including best picture best screenplay and best supporting actor for somebody we're going to talk about later but maltese falcon the basic premise of this movie is everybody wants this jeweled bird because it's worth millions of dollars and not because it's a bird because that I would, that would be my motivation because i like birds yeah I mean that that would be my brother's main motivation. Just like, I want a bird. <laughs> I don't care if it's worth a million dollars. I want a bird. Want a bird? <laughs> I want <laughs> my bird. <laughs> That's good. Get, let's get Mickey, uh, Mickey Rourke. Um, Mickey Rourke. Uh, hey, Mick. Falcon remake. <laughs> I, I want my bird. Uh, you want your bird? <laughs> you better give me the money first. See, <laughs> Mick. Bird. I want my bird. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> so Maltese fel like basically everybody wants his everybody wants his bird, right? But everybody. There's a lot. Of, there's other things uh, components involved in this, and that of course starts with Sam Spade, played by Humphrey Bogart. You know, d- pri- private investigator is approached by Bridget O'Shaughnessy, who went under a couple of other you know aliases. Played by Mary Astor, or uh, as I ca- as I call her, um, Harry Potter's aunt. Harry Potter's aunt, because <laughs> <laughs> she just looked a lot like her in the movie. Again, my <laughs> I'm gonna just be completely upfront. I don't. I besides them wanting the bird and all the people involved, specifically Peter Lorre and and Humphrey Bogart. I don't really know what happened in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, so, we're gonna get to that because that's, so. that's a big com- that's a big component of noir actually is is kind of like the confusion yeah so uh, it's of, just, of things so it's just like i'm trying like you try to piece everything together by with things that you don't know and things that you do know and you just go okay this was the ultimate like end game here and so so like even the characters like i like again i don't like i remember sam spade because again his name was on the door my dog's barking uh, they mentioned him a lot, um, and then I don't even remember. It's Cairo, isn't it? Was Peter Lorre's character? Joel, name? yeah, Joel Cairo. Joel Cairo, uh, which I only remember because of Egypt, um, and uh, and then uh, whatever you said her name was again. I, I'm sorry, Bridget O'Shaughnessy. Thank you, uh, and I, I just remember her because she looked like Harry Potter's aunt, Fiona Shaw. <laughs> Is the actress in question? But anyway, sorry. Go on. Yeah. So, you know, like w- with film noir, one of the big aspects, and we talked about like characters in movies, like likability of characters, and we've had many talks about that. There's not a single likable character in this movie. <laughs> I I, lo- I loved when you said, um, "This is you know how you hate Taylor and Planet of the Apes." I said, "Yeah." He's like, "This is a movie full of Taylors." <laughs> <laughs> like Taylor Taylor might be the most likable character in that scenario. <laughs> like damn. Like they're all they're 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 all they all have their own like skeletons um in their in their closet like Sydney Greenstreet who plays Casper Gutman, the fat man um basically. I, re- I remember fat and man. He he spent like 17 years of his like I think he said 17 years of his life searching for this bird, which involved killing people and murder. And uh, he's willing to to use the closest thing he has to a son as a fall guy. Because in his own words, he's like, I can, I can get another son. I can never get another falcon. <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> I do remember that. And I remember, I remember the son being... Uh, he was asleep, too, when it happened. That's like, you didn't even get a say. He was just asleep. They're like, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make him... We're gonna blame him for everything. It's gonna work out. <laughs> like they need they need a fall guy. Uh, Joel Cairo is is going along with all this stuff. You know Peter Lorre's character. He's just double crossing everyone. One of my favorite parts is when he blows up at Sydney Green Street at the uh, <laughs> towards the end of the movie. <laughs> I just I just like how every like every every chance he got he just like again he just turned on someone so like like. Immediately, he 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 pulls out a gun on on Spade, and he's like, "Put your hands behind, put your put clasp your hands behind your neck." <laughs> and then he takes the gun away from him after he knocks him out, <laughs> and then he's like, "It was a real job offer, yeah." 
<laughs> I actually, I was going to get you the money. <laughs> and then he gets the gun back and goes, clasp your hands around your neck. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. But Peter Laurie is just such a character in, ev- in everything that he does. You can't help but love Peter Laurie. Like, no question. No question. Um, and and they, they would, the, the three of them, like Bogart, Green Street, and Laurie, would do a couple of movies together. Like, all three of them also appear in their most fam- the most famous film, Casablanca. Like, and, and a couple other, um, I think Across the Pacific is another one that they are in. Or I know Green Street, Bogart, and um, Mary Astor are in that, or one of those. But, yeah, like, okay, it's like, Joe Cairo is not likable. Bridget O'Shaughnessy is the, like, prototypical um, femme fatale, mm-hmm. where... She she's responsible for for people dying, but she 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 pretends that oh no, poor me. I swear I didn't mean to. I'm just so tired from all the lying. Was it? And Ellie was like, "Was well, there any tr- any truth in what you said?" So, she's like, "Some, just a little bit, just a little bit." A little and bit. then of course, uh, of course, we get to Sam Spade, who in the novel and um is referred to um, in the title of Satan Met a Lady, is referred to as Satan in the book because he just doesn't care. He is so... He's even worse in, he's, in, in the book. He's the epitome of apathy. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, like... Like, when his partner gets gets shot, he he's... It's just kind of like, yeah, it's a tough break. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> sucks, I guess. That'd be like that'd be like if you died and I was just like, yeah, I can get another host. Yeah, <laughs> or, and, and he's 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 also you know involved involved with his partner's wife, but he's trying to he's trying to dodge her completely, and he gets his secretary, poor Effie, like try trying to like try to cover up his crap basically. <laughs> She has to do so much for him. She does not get paid enough. I guarantee she, you. She listen. I bet you she she gets paid so little, and yet. I don't like how I don't know how she puts up with him. Like when you when we when we meet her, she's literally just like doing everything, but like again with that lack of like care, she's like she's like I'm tired. She's she would be if we were doing Lethal Weapon as a as a as a comparison, she would be the Danny Glover. She's like I'm, I'm too tired <laughs> for this shit. Tired of it. <laughs> but like but in but in this one like in the book when 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 Sam Spade has to turn in um Bridget O'Shaughnessy he's much he's much more cold about it than he is in the movie. The movie he gets a little more he's a little more dimension and Bogart gets to sort of flex his acting muscles where you get to you get to sense that yeah, he knows he has to do this, but he doesn't it, part of him really doesn't want to do this. Like I just think about that look that he gives when he's sitting down um you know, and it's it, it was also there's a further a- adding of like Bogart's dimensions as an actor because for a while Bogart was the heavy in a movie like he was the bad guy in a lot of movies like in the there was the Petrified Forest where he plays Duke Mantee and he's just evil he's just a bad guy there's no you know ifs ands or buts about it but as he progressed through his career he got to play more you know characters with you know maybe maybe they they had a, like in Casablanca he has a cynical shell but he's actually a softy or in this where He's not he's not a nice guy at all, but he does he does have at least some regret as far as to some of the stuff that he's doing. Um 
like when he has to turn in um when he has to turn in Bridget O'Shaughnessy he's like you know maybe if you're good you'll you'll come out in 20 you'll come out in 20 years I'll be waiting for you but you know <laughs> it, it's like like when somebody when somebody's partner gets killed you got to do something about it like he he has to stick to like a code he has a code of some sort even if he didn't care for his partner at all and wastes no time in getting rid of his partner's name uh, <laughs> off the windows yeah he definitely ha- he definitely has that um i mean the f- the first thing i thought of when when he said the 20 years thing i was just like are you, will you be alive still <laughs> like it sounds mean but i was like would you would he be because i don't know i because I, his character looks like he's maybe 40 so what 60 maybe he's still alive he would look- i mean bogart was in his 40s when he was playing this role so all right there you go <laughs> he would probably still be i mean like character wise the character i mean I, I don't know how old he was unfortunately when he passed away but that was the first thing I thought of, and I didn't even realize that he died younger than he than most people, I guess. So yeah, I mean, like, you know, again, like, a lot of the stars that I mentioned before, like Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, obviously died younger than Bogart was. But, yeah. You know, dying at, like, 50-something is not exactly, like... That's, all, that's not old. The youngest... Especially, especially when he was, like, he didn't become a star that long ago. Like a big star, you know, because he did Casablanca in nineteen forty two, and I want to say he passed away in like like fifty six, fifty seven. So like like he re- was it this and Casablanca that really kind of put him on the map a little bit. Like Maltese Falcon definitely made him made him a star, and then like Casablanca sort of cemented his fame in Hollywood pretty like, much. Like minus because he's still alive, but uh, it kind of makes me think of Christoph Waltz a little bit. Because, you know, he was famous in Germany, I'm sure, or had a career in Germany. And then he does Inglorious Bastards with Quentin Tarantino late, later in his life. And now he's international. He's a huge star. Oscar Oscar winner. Um, right. The, the, on that note, this is completely unrelated, but um, as a pick-me-up, I suggest you guys do this. Uh, there was a clip of, like, teenage Christoph Waltz singing a German song about 1977 and like it's like for a kid's show and it just makes me giggle <laughs> so, on that note but it's what it kind of what it makes me think of it's just how like some some of these actors really don't get that big break until much later in their life so it is kind of no. s- sad that for Bogart it it came but you know he didn't really get to live it out I guess yeah, I mean, he and the good news is too. He also eventually won an Oscar because um, he won it for African Queen with John Huston directing, writing and directing. Um, you know, but yeah, I think one of the other big things, like we talked about, like with film noir, there's a lot of characters who are not likable in this, and there's a lot of darkness in this story. The story about murder and backstabbing, and like everyone's greed and obsession over this 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 legendary object. You know, and what I love about it is at the end of the end of the day, when we find the Maltese Falcon, it's not the real thing. It's a fake. It's a lead statue. And it leads to Bogart um, saying like one of the most famous lines in movie history. And when somebody asks him, what what is this? And he's like, the stuff that dreams are made of. And then credits. And there's so many people that were obsessed with this thing and they they, they gave up their lives or they went to prison over this thing. At the end of the day, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. <laughs> they, they, 
it it kind of makes me yeah i'm just relating this a lot to other things but um it kind of makes me think of um uh though it's intentional like this i think not that it wasn't intentional for it to be nothing but uh burn after reading the the coen brothers movie where it's literally um someone thinks that uh john malkovich's character has has a bunch of like cia um like top secret stuff uh but it's actually just a memoir he's writing that uh you know he's just because he's got time now because he got fired from the cia and so then um Fran- uh, francis mcdermott and and brad pitt are trying to blackmail him for money and they're trying to sell it to the russian mafia and then everyone gets super paranoid and then at the end of the movie it's just jk simmons and another guy just going so what happened <laughs> Uh. <laughs> all right then like what was it all what was it all for, what was it all for? what is um <laughs> it actually leads me to talking about um this other like bo- famous bogart movie the big sleep which is another like you know based off like the you know philip marlowe like books mm-hmm. and, and all that um that's a very confusing movie like i've seen that movie a number of times and i would not be able to tell you beginning and what exactly happens even though it's not like it's not like other movies where they they're, they feel like they're intentionally confusing or anything like that. It's just like the way film noir is. I feel like it's just it's just more about the mood and the atmosphere and because of the darkness both in the cinematography and with the characters, it kind of has this this haze about it, you know. Like that's always been the one thing I've I've latched onto really with with that genre was just that kind of aesthetic I thought was always really cool. Um, you know, the, the fedoras and smoke and just like the, the deep shadows and also just the way that everything is staged. You know, I always think of like the, uh, the blinds sort of lighting effect where you see like a character and you see like, you know, light coming through the blinds and then everything else is shadowed, but you see like their eyes and like one beam of light. Um, so I always think of that. Um, I mean that that aesthetic I think has been applied to so many things and it's definitely latched on I took to comics I saw that aesthetic and wh- where I got used to it and so I always wanted to see more of that in other things and like it's always applied to like detective stories and detective stories by nature can be convoluted because they're trying to like unravel a mystery and sometimes it can become too much because there's just so many players and there's so many story elements and there's so many things. There's a lot of, there's a lot of characters that either appear once or just get mentioned by name once. Like you have Floyd Thursby, you know, you have Floyd, Floyd Thursby, Jacoby, Kamenov and all these like crazy names that they, they met, they spout out. It's like Game of Thrones a little bit. Like, <laughs> like how do you, how do you remember this guy's name? Like it's like cuz it's you know, it's that guy. But then there's Jon Snow. I know Jon Snow. <laughs> I know Jon Snow. I know Danny and Danny? Tyrion. He's the cool guy. <laughs> and then um uh Sean Bean. Yeah, Sean Bean's on that show. I know Sean yeah. Bean. <laughs> Uh, Ned? Yeah, Ned. <laughs> Harry Potter's aunt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's a that's definitely a big thing um, with this. But I also th- think it's interesting too because this was, um, like I said, John Huston's uh, directorial debut. You know who else made like a major like di- sort of directorial debut and was also nominated for Best Picture that year? 
that year um is it is it somebody that likes mrs pale's frozen peas or fish sticks i messed that up the fish wholeheartedly <laughs> you, st- you do well, it you're better at it anyway oh yes <laughs> mrs there's nothing like mrs pell's fish sticks <laughs> or some, mr wells is not a commercial i know that was a declaration of love <laughs> Yeah, so Orson Welles made Citizen Kane that same year, and they both lost Best Picture to the John Ford movie, How Green Was My Valley. Which I don't even know what that is. I know who John Ford is, but I don't even know what that movie is. It has Roddy McDowell. Like, you remember Roddy McDowell from like the old Planet of the Apes movies who plays you know Cornelius and Caesar? He's in that as a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's the other only other thing i remember about that movie is that roddy mcdowell is in it and it won best picture over <laughs> citizen kane and the maltese falcon both of which both of which oddly enough have objects at the end of them that that don't necessarily are aren't necessarily as important as other i don't know like the sled and the falcon you know, itself. actually that's a good that's a good point like like the characters attach so much meaning to something yeah that might not have that much meaning at all basically like how can you in the case of citizen kane how could you summarize somebody's life in one word with one word or one object Rosebud. and in maltese falcon maltese falcon that could have been a nice double feature too but anyway <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is but i think you know, there, there's just so much with this movie. I, I just love all the lines. Of course, um, the dialogue is fun. Like any, like a film noir, like good film noir dialogue is fun, even if it is misogynistic, <laughs> which is a lot of the time. It just like, especially the delivery of it. Like, you know, like the the typical like gangster impression. You like, yeah, see, we're gonna get the money, and, and then like the the henchman guy's like, yeah, we're gonna get the money. <laughs> so like it kind of made me think of that the whole time especially like bogart's delivery um just being like as paced as it was and like at mm-hmm. that that, that like, w- what's funny about that was the producer of the movie i think how Hal, Hal wallace or um henry blanky or whatever they were they were talking to john houston about that i was like his dialogue's too paced you gotta speed him <laughs> <laughs> talk faster <laughs> But also another thing of note, too, is with, with this movie for Bogart, it's important also because, like, with a, a num- strangely enough, a number of Bogart's, like, early roles, they were, he was not the first choice by the studio to play these roles. Another actor by the, who most people had never heard of, George Raft, was the first choice to play a number of these roles, but he said, no, this movie's beneath me. And now Ooh. Bogart got to laugh, basically had the last laugh because... You know, who remembers George Raft? I mean, George Raft's given some decent performances, don't get me wrong, but... I don't know who he they're, is. They're, ex- I mean, Bogart's an icon, and this movie yeah. definitely plays a major role in that. Like, just just Bogart's, like, semi-nasally voice when he's like, you're good, you know, or... Uh, oh, hock, you're good. Hock the jewelry. Hawk the jewelry and, and you know... <laughs> I almost believed you for a second there. <laughs> yeah, or, or just even when Bogart's, like, not very good. Like, I think about the scene where, like... Where Joel Cairo has like the gun again, he's like, "Oh, oh, sure." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those moments. It's just like, what? <laughs> clasp your hands behind your neck. Uh huh. 
you got you think you got the jump on me, huh? You know, but surprisingly enough, even though we talk about how like you know for our standards that's very theatrical, mm. Bogart that that was like a more for then like a more modern approach to acting because a lot of things were very much very theatrical back then, and this was. Uh, for then, it was a very realistic performance. But I also, I, in the dialogue, I love, and um, I love whenever Casper Gutman talked. Ah, uh, you're quite a character. Ah, uh, you, you passed. This was a test. It's a practical joke I played. You passed with <laughs> flying colors. By God, so you are a character. <laughs> oh, Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. It's not. I don't think there's a single person in this movie who doesn't talk in an interesting way they all have their own way that's, that's just kind of memorable <laughs> it's it's um, it's it's entertaining for various reasons but anyway like this movie it really set the standard like this is one of those like really definitive like pillar touchstone movies especially in american cinema mm-hmm. and deservedly so I, I didn't realize it came in this soon but it was one of the first 25 movies in the in um in the library of congress's like um, national film registry when they started oh. that in 1989 this was one of the first 25 films that makes sense it really deserves it when you think about how it's sort of it kind of was the prototype, and it was the base model for that genre. And then without this, we wouldn't have things like, I don't know, Detour, um, Out of the Past, and then maybe our next film. We're going to take a brief, brief intermission. We come back, uh, we're going to be a little a little zany. Uh, we're going to be a little loony here, see? We're going to have a good time, you understand? <laughs> uh, stay tuned. <laughs> See, and we're back. See, we're gonna have a good episode. See, we're gonna go with the second feature. See, by God, Richard, you are a character. <laughs> yes. Now clasp your hands behind your neck so I can shoot you. Uh, you're good. You're awful good. <laughs> it's. I don't think that's ever not gonna be fun. <laughs> Just to do that. What? What is? What is this? The uh, the podcast that dreams are made of. Credits. <laughs> no, but today, t- today in this in this in this second half, we are going to talk about another uh, very different kind of detective story. A very different kind of detective story. Uh, we are talking about the 1988 Robert Zemeckis film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. By God, Roger, you are a character. <laughs> I just want to make people laugh. You stupid rabbit idiot. (laughs) That rabbit scratched my face. Do you not see this? (laughs) Oh, no. We were just pretend fighting. (laughs) 
<laughs> he tried to come at me, Eddie. I swear. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? A movie for more reasons than one would never get made today. Nope. <laughs> I mean, nope. here's what I'll say about it. There are funny parts in Roger Rabbit, but it's a lot more serious than I remembered it. It, it. I mean, a lot of the silliness just comes from the fact that there's cartoons that exist. In the, so, like, that's a, where a lot of the humor comes from. And they, they, they try to play it straight, oddly enough. I mean, heightened, height, heightened, and you know, like, you know, of the genre, but um, every character that is a tune, you know, fits that. It's it's interesting. It's it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hard to. It's. I mean, I think this is a great movie. I think this this is one of Robert Zemeckis's better movies. <laughs> it's de- it's it's definitely it's like up there. It's like Back to the Future and this are probably like my two favorite he's ever done. I would agree with that. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, those are by far his best ones. Um, basically, the whole premise of this um, is in in this world of old old world Hollywood, Los Angeles. Um, there is a sector uh, called Toontown where a bunch of cartoon characters live there. And I and I don't just mean like Disney characters because this is technically a Disney movie. I mean like all types of Disney characters. You have Betty Boop shows well, up. You mean Droopy other cartoon Dog. characters because you said Disney twice. Yes. So like other, oh, other like yeah. car- cartoons from other studios. Cartoon which, characters, like, what you're yes. trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So like other yes other cartoon characters like betty boop droopy dog the warner brothers character looney tunes mm-hmm. show up in this movie so they all live in toontown and you know they're just trying to make it in hollywood you know and uh roger rabbit is one of the prime stars working right now um and he's going through a bit of a uh domestic crisis because he suspects his wife jessica rabbit is cheating on him and so eddie valiant uh played by the the late great bob hoskins is hired by the head of the studio rk maroon to investigate this now eddie valiant has history because he used to work with tunes with him and his brother but something very tragic happened a tune killed his brother by dropping a piano on his head Mm -hmm. and they play that Serious, (laughs) Serious, <laughs> like make note of that. This is a big thing with his character. Yes, and it's led him to just being bitter and angry, alcoholic. Yeah, and so, so like that became like a new reputation for him. You know, everybody knows him more as a drunk than as a detective or a PI or whichever the two he is, and um. When he gets this job, he stumbles on this possibly elaborate scheme to take over Toontown when uh, Marvin Acme, who is a, a, a gag prop uh, f- guy, essentially, uh, which makes sense if you know the history of cartoons, um, he owns Toontown, and... Uh, now everyone wants like this will that he had possibly that you know could possibly bequeath the toontown to the tunes or not so it's it's a big complicated thing and so eddie has to try to f- put all the pieces together uh while also trying to uh you know help 
Roger, who was framed for Acme's murder. It's a lot. <laughs> I hope I covered bases without spoiling anything. I mean, I feel like we're going to end up spoiling stuff anyway, because... Yeah. I, 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 I think I overthink that part sometimes, because I know by this point, I don't think people really care, but it is what it is. Yeah, but, I mean, there's a lot that, that there's a lot of dark stuff that goes on in this movie. Like, there, there are some jokey parts of it, like, in like the cheating aspect, they call it like patty. Cake. There's like patty cake. They're doing yeah. patty cake. Patty cake. Patty cake. <laughs> that, it's just such a. It's just so funny because as an adult, you know what they're what they're insinuating or what they're really trying to do. <laughs> but you just hear patty cake. It's like it's like hearing even beauty. even even before like like when he's taking the pictures and you hear like the noises they're making. And what they're insinuating with those noises, and then you just see the pictures, and then just Roger speeding through them, and he, like it almost looks like, like a like a like it's coming to life, like they're doing the patty cake thing, like one of those flip books. Yeah, and that was just funny. <laughs> patty cake, patty cake. I mean, there's the the, al- the alcohol use in this movie, and alcohol plays a major role in in saving the day <laughs> at the end of the movie. <laughs> like like or or at least one of the parts of the movie where they they try to escape where they try to escape judge doom and they give give roger i think some bourbon (laughs) and he's just like like, and uh, one of the other like details too when roger is like trying to explain how he found eddie valiant's office he's like i asked the newspaper boy he didn't know i asked this guy he didn't know a liquor store guy he knew where you were the liquor store guy (laughs) put the guy at the liquor store he knew (laughs) like and then like at one point he's like uh uh, they should change your name to like jack daniels and it's like, oh my gosh, this would this definitely would not happen in in the either Bob Iger or Bob Chapek eras of Disney. But the the funny thing too to think about is, like, this is based on a book, and the book is even more like dark. Oh, it is for sure. Like, it is much darker, and so it's just it's kind of funny like how this reads now especially, like, compared to modern Disney movies, and, like, how dark it still kind of feels at times. <sighs> like, even, like, even e- even just, like, the reveal at the end with, or, like, just Christopher Lloyd's character, like, Judge Doom itself is terrifying. <laughs> He's a very scary character. I feel like in certain ways he might be, like, the modern, like, Wicked Witch for, for, su- for a certain generation of kids. Yeah. You know, obviously he melts at the end. He even looks like 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 he's got a pointed nose, elongated chin, prosthetics, the black hat, like the whole outfit. He is essentially that's a really good comparison, actually. Like I, I think it's Christopher Lloyd is just such a terrific actor. I mean, when you think about Mm-mm. you know the roles, he sometimes doesn't get enough credit because obviously he was magnificent as Doc Brown, but like you really get to see him like truly is just like somebody who's just so despicable. In the in this movie, mm-hmm. like when he when he has to, when he kills off that uh, there's that one tune like the shoe little goofy shoes like squeaking. Oh, it's that's so tragic. It's a tra- such a traumatizing like moment. And then he just turns and you see the smoke like enveloping around his face, and you're like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. Why would you do that to a poor shoe? It's just a squeaky little shoe trying to have a good day. <laughs> you ruined his life by killing him. What's wrong and with you? 
Oh my gosh! And, and then when it when the, the reveal at the end, when I talk like this, <laughs> <laughs> you remember me, Eddie? When I killed your brother? <laughs> Which is fun fact. That was Corey Burton. Oh, who did the uh, who, the voice? Who did the squeaky? Yeah, who did the squeaky. That that doesn't. That I mean it. To, Corey Burton's really talented. Like, I mean, oh yeah, we should. Just mention that, like voice actors in general. Speaking of voice actors, I know I always mention this every time we talk about Roger Rabbit. Uh, Mae Questel, who was like the classic, like Betty Boop, got to be Betty Boop in this movie, and that's just such a lovely thing. Mm-hmm. So when when she says like I still got it, when, when she's like I think you know when Eddie's like yeah you still got it, I'm like it's such a heartwarming like thing if you know who that is, you know. It just like it adds an extra layer of like dimension. Even like Mel Blanc, yeah, doing all those characters. It's like one of the last times he ever did those characters was That's in this right. movie. Yeah, I was thinking about that when I was watching it this time around. It's kind of weird because like you know, he's played he played those characters like what since like some of the like, since like the thirties and forties. So many of those characters. Yeah. <sighs> Man, but also like a number of things that would never fly today. Like I think about the scene where they're hiding behind the bar and they pulled Dolores' shirt to pull her down yeah like yeah this, this was clearly made by by or even or even the booby trap joke the booby trap joke would never happen today just mm-hmm. jessica jessica rabbit would not happen today like just no <laughs> <laughs> one of those characters that's and on that note um i do think we need to 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 talk about uh our two main tune characters jessica rabbit and roger rabbit voiced by uh, Charles Fleischer and Kathleen Turner. Yes, of course. Just the fact that uh, Charles Fleischer, I just need to acknowledge this, the fact that he wore a bunny suit on set when he was like just doing the voice off camera is is kind of amazing. And mm-hmm. you just the dedicate, you're like, I appreciate that. But also he's been in a lot of things. Like he's, he's, one, he's definitely one of those guys that you just recognize his face. Like he's worked with Zemeckis a few times. I always think of him as... Uh, one of the suspects in in Zodiac, mm-hmm. the David Fincher movie, where like like uh, they're trying to like link uh, this one guy who made movie posters to the Zodiac because the handwriting matches the Zodiac and the letters, and uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal goes to talk to Charles Fleischer who has a basement in California, which is like one of the clues or whatever, or one of the hints that he could possibly be the Zodiac. It's a really unnerving creepy scene and he's very good in the scene mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's he's one of those guys that's just been in so many things and i always recognize his face i'm like hey and i remember when i found out he was roger rabbit i'm like that's cool right like that's pretty cool and then and then kathleen turner's been in a lot of things too though the first time i ever saw her in a movie besides this well i mean you don't see her in the movie but you know the first time i ever saw her was in this <laughs> this 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 kids movie i haven't watched it since but it's a kids movie um called like you wish or like wish something it's got martin short and he's a fairy godmother and like he hangs out with uh mara wilson and he's like huh. granting wishes and then like kathleen turner is like an evil witch or an evil fairy go- it's it's weird <laughs> i haven't it's- seen it in such a long time it sounds like a very strange premise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. But I love, I love, I love. I think they're great in this in this movie, though. On that note, no, they they are very good, and they're just like like 
also just Jessica Rabbit too. Like you think she's going to be end up being like the femme fatale, uh, like type. You know, because in so many of these movies, like the the lady ends up being like, you know, some part of some type of scheme or some type of mastermind of some sort, or the person who ruins everything. But it's like no, she she's you know she's really like a victim in this um mm-hmm. in this in this situation. And I I love I'm not bad. <laughs> I'm just drawn. I'm just that drawn way. that way. It's a classic line. It's a great line, and oh my gosh! But can we talk about the animation and and just the use of like the live action and live action and animated elements integrated? That was the one thing I was most curious about because this day and age, you know, obviously with modern technology, so many things. You know, we have real life people with you know computer gen. Like you know, when we watched the Planet of the Apes movies. In a lot of ways, you know, a lot of those human characters, like Woody Woody Harrelson interacting with Andy Serkis, but he looks like an ape. You know, it's it's stuff like that that I really, you know, think about watching this one because this movie's, you know, kind of, kind of not that it's the first one to ever incorporate. Like, there's also like Mary Poppins who also had scenes of whole animation with real people in it. And like even going way back for Disney, the, the Alice, Alice shorts from like the 20s. Mm-hmm incorporated a little girl into this animated world you know which is kind of wild that they did that at that time and it's it's just it's kind of crazy to think how it's it's almost common these days how often you know real people are put in like made up you know post-production situations like the whole mcu like all the actors always saying like i don't remember working with this person ever right you know it's 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 crazy how common it is whereas you know this you know, is wasn't necessarily like commonplace to have, you know, animated and real people like hanging out in a movie. But also, oddly enough, with so many movies these days, like crossing IPs, especially Warner Brothers, uh, like like anything Lego, Space Jam, Ready Player One, like everything is just a big old crossover. And yet, despite all that, despite how common, you know, the use of CGI and like, you know, real and fake people are mixed together and this new emergence of IP mixture, this still feels really special. Yeah. Like this, like this still stands out in a really nice way. Um, and just the, how they were able to achieve some of the stuff they were, but also just how good it still is and how, how well it holds up, you know? I mean, dude, like you could literally like frame that shot of, of Mickey mouse sharing the screen with bugs, bunny, like skydiving skydiving and but i mean there's so much like legal legal red tape they had to go through but also a lot of that would was helped because steven spielberg wasn't was a major player for this movie and Mm -hmm. obviously steven spielberg very powerful person in hollywood you know you wouldn't you probably would not be able to have any of that stuff without him and this was back in a time too where disney wasn't as protective of its IPs as it is now. As they are now, yeah. You know, because now neither studio would ever consider doing something like that. But you needed the the gargantuan, like, forces of, like, Steven Spielberg and all these talented people to, to come together to do something like this. Just to even hear, even hearing Mickey Mouse address, like, say, Bugs talking to him. And, like, Bugs Bunny saying, like, ain't I a stinker? I think about uh, D- uh, Daffy and Donald. When they're on like the the, yeah. you know, the dueling pianos, um, that's a crazy that's a, such a crazy thing to think about. And this is a Disney movie. Pork, that Porky en- Pig and Tinkerbell. Porky Pig and Tinkerbell, like 
it, again, it's like for a number of reasons this movie wouldn't happen. Like especially because we think about the maturity of this movie in comparison to other like Disney things, but also just the IPs that Disney does not own, you know, and these companies do not own, and they're able to have them together in the same spot. It's the weirdest thing still. Like any every time I watch it, I'm just like, I'll never see that again. Like you could see um, uh, your main character get a, use a gun that was given to him by Yosemite Sam as a major part of a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> like again, like I think of you know these days, the closest probably, and again Steven Spielberg is probably Ready Player One to have something like that. But again, you know, talking about Warner Brothers, you know, all their kids' movies these days are just a bunch of mashed up ips it seems you know with lego with the lego movies and space jam coming out and it's just it's weird that you're watching a kid's movie that has you know the war boys and the ice the 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 uh the night king the night king thank you from game of thrones in the background like why is that there and then like the guys from uh clockwork orange are in the background too why is that there (laughs) you know (laughs) like well ip mixture people want it like do they but like with this, you're having characters from two from completely different studios. Do it's it's just it's just wild how how they got that to work out. But also too, let's think about it like this: this was before Disney and like Pixar were a major Titanic force in the film industry. This was right before Disney had their home run with yeah, but right before Little Mermaid. The Renaissance. No, and you know all like that 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 '90s stretch of hits. You know so. It was definitely a very different time for the studio where they were more willing to experiment with things. I mean, I also think about the Rocketeer, you know? Yeah. I think, I think how kind of crazy that is that they made the Rocket, that Disney made the Rocketeer and it wasn't like an MCU backdoor pilot kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I also think about it too because I remember at my AMC, they had a lot of older movie posters and the two I remember, the, the three I remember the most, I remember the weird Beauty and the Beast poster where Spell's dress is like pink and the beast is in the clouds. But also I remember the Roger Rabbit poster, you know, where like the film reel. And then I remember the Rocketeer poster, which is like, like the classic like Art Deco look, you know. Those are great posters on that note. Yeah. But it's just, it's it's always weird. Like, it, it's, it's sorry it's like taking up most of the conversation. It's just a really weird thing to think about. No, I mean, for a lot, that, that's, a, that's a big part of it. But let's also, I think this is a very good movie, though. Like, let, it is a very good movie, and then on top of that, like a lot of that stuff isn't like it doesn't take over anything. No, you know, like, it's it's not a major player in anything. It's it's just like a it's like a it's like a moment or a reference, but it's it's nothing like it. It doesn't take over what the story is trying to be. No, like the the story the story is still about like Roger Rabbit and Eddie Valiant. You know, like yeah, and and also I think about I think about today too where. You know that would that would be the the only thing to talk about. Whereas this movie has so much. Like Eddie Valiant is a great character, you know. And Bob Hoskins is also just great in general. Bob Hoskins is a ter- was a terrific actor. May he rest in peace. Like seriously, you know. Just and also on the note of the animation too, we got to talk about Richard Williams, um, who directed the the animated sequences. Um, was the ma- director of the animated sequences of this movie, um. You know, because he was, he's a, he passed away not that long ago, but he was a major force as far as like an animator was concerned. Um, you know, he did like the animator survival kit, um, which became like a DVD set and then it became an app. 
Um, but also to the thief and the cobbler, which is his great, like unfinished project, you know, that it has like the longest production period out of any film in history. I think it had like almost 30 years, like trying to make like when he started it. And then when it became like what it was, what it ended up being, which was not that great, but that was out outside of his control because the, the financers and all that stuff, but he should definitely yeah. be mentioned because, Obviously, Zemeckis is like Zemeckis can make a good movie, but you got to talk about the uh, animated stuff of Roger Rabbit is a huge component of why it works. You know, I mean that's that's the the whole the whole. If you don't have Toontown, if Toontown doesn't work, this movie doesn't work. Yeah, like I just think of the, the integration, like when when like I think about Roger Rabbit holding like the popcorn and the popcorn's like you know jiggling around and the falling all over the place. That was like the way they were able to like accomplish that was pretty wild. Like a lot, there was there was like the armatures that they had to mask over, like scenes of Roger drinking out of the glass and throwing it behind him, or um, uh, Jessica Rabbit picking up uh, the the pocket square or whatever out of uh, Acme's pocket and like rubbing it on his head, squeaky yeah, squeaky, you know, play, playing playing or, with the hat. And like the playing with the hat and then all that, and even like you know, there's there's scenes with like uh, the weasels and how they had guns and like they had to puppeteer the the gun. Which there's a few t- and like there's a few times you can notice some things just because of you know modern technology and like Blu-ray restoration stuff. So like sometimes the the shadows of the cartoons weren't animated, so you just see the gun floating and it's a bit weird, but it's just really quick, so you don't notice it. Or sometimes you can see through the animation since it was superimposed on, yeah, like the on on the on the frame. But other than that, I mean, it's it's very little things that, and it's still like really impressive to see how it all plays out and like how how fluid, especially with just using armatures, they were able to have things go. Like even Baby Herman, who is a terrible care a terrible person, by the way, mm-hmm. fun just funny baby character, but really terrible person, um, pulling like a newspaper out from his crib to you know show to Eddie uh, and like you know talk about the will and stuff. Uh, like even that was like pretty pretty wild how they were able to accomplish some of the stuff and even how fluid it is sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and I think about that baby Herman character and some of the other characters in in the movie, like you know, because they cut out that 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 casting couch thing in Toy Story two in the credits. Yeah, they would have to cut so much out of Roger Rabbit if they if they decided <laughs> to do that. It would like the movie would be basically unwatchable because you'd be taking out so much crucial information it was like when people talked about dumbo where they were talking about taking out like obviously the like the caricature like the crows you know that yeah. at the end of that movie like if you took them out you have no climax for your movie there's no there's no cli- like cr- climax where he flies like as as, as as horrible as this sounds you have to keep it in the movie <laughs> to make have it make sense with both of these movies it actually we actually had a hard time trying to find like linking yes admittedly which is strange because when we first heard this we were like "Ooh, this sounds this sounds neat it was exciting and i mean i've i've never seen maltese falcon so i was i was able to you know give me an opportunity to watch the movie and a lot of the times i was trying to figure out what the connection was and i'm like this is this is a little surface level no offense it's just a little surface level as far as comparisons but in in, in in defense in in the defense of I I thought it was it would have worked out better it would have worked out better as like like a, like a pairing of of some sort but it, it, it's it's interesting because a lot of the characters in um in Roger Rabbit are 
I mean, they might have some issues. Like Eddie Valiant is as an alcoholic and has his own his own set of things, but he at least has an arc. Mm. You know where he become he becomes a better person and all that. So and you have a definitive bad guy in um in Roger Rabbit, whereas Maltese Falcon is a little more great. Everybody's kind of a bad guy. Everybody's kind of a bad guy. It's just that Bogart is not as much of a bad guy because <laughs> he's the he's the he's the lesser evil of the evils. Right. The family of evils. But there is also on that note, though, too, like we were po- we were pointing this out, like he puts his hat on like a bird, on a bird statue. <laughs> he he does. He puts his hat on a bird statue, and then we see another bird statue later. Yes, in R.K. So, Maroon's office. So so de- that that definitely had to be some type of like nod to to Sam Spade and like the Maltese um the the, the Maltese um Falcon. I mean. In in a, in a lot of ways, Maltese Falcon had to walk so that others could run. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do like a, a modern day or contemporary like um like detective story, you 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 almost really want to like pay homage to Maltese Falcon on some level. Like, I liken it to a lot of like '60s '70s horror films, like especially the ones like like uh like Hammer horror like brought color into horror and so they walked so that others like bava and Ar- and argento could run and just go crazy or even roger corman could go crazy uh with with how they did their horror films so there's always there's always that sort of early example of how to do a certain genre and then there's someone else that goes okay this is how we can this is how we can utilize this which is it's it's why like so many comic books you know, like some superhero, like like the pulp characters, characters like Batman, and uh, you know even characters like the Mask, you know, incorporated a lot of of noir aesthetics that were probably established or more or less pinpointed with uh, with Maltese Falcon, and so everybody that came afterwards, like it just shows how important it was for a certain type of aesthetic or a certain type of genre that 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 movie. You know, you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't. I, I might sound like I'm reaching, but it's, it is important. Point, point being, I don't. I, you know, even if the if it's not a direct connection, I don't think you would have um, Roger Rabbit without Maltese Falcon to a certain extent. I mean, because Maltese Falcon again was a hugely successful movie, and made the detective film pop more popular, and of course, film noir basically launched because of that um so and there's definitely elements of film noir in roger rabbit even if it's like subverts them a little bit um with this way that does certain characters and also because i'll put this in the the biggest air quotes possible it is a family movie (laughs) it is it is a family movie by the 80s standards Possibly, and and even then, that's kind of loose. <laughs> Possibly, it's it's like, it's like all right, it's it's like how Temple of Doom could be considered a movie that you could watch with your family, maybe. Oh, because it's PG, like Frozen. You know, <laughs> you know. But actually, that leads me to think. You know what's the movie that makes me think of Roger Rabbit to a certain extent is The Incredibles, because it's they're both like family movies. Hmm. But I also feel like like the Incredibles, maybe not as much as Robert Roger Rabbit, not Robert Rabbit, Roger Rabbit. Um, <laughs> I want to see Ro- Robert Rabbit would be like if the Asylum Studio was around, and that would be their version of Roger Rabbit. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, theirs would be uh, who killed Bo Bunny. <laughs> but no, like, um, like the Incredibles, you know, there's an that like Mrs. Incredible is like, wait a minute, is there an affair going on? You know, and maybe you don't think about that as a kid, but like when you definitely when you get older, you're just like, oh. And there's certainly like certain elements where it's just like, yeah, I guess a kid could watch it, but it's like when you're an adult, you get a lot out of it, I guess. I'm not saying it's like a perfect comparison or anything like that, but I think that's one of the, I guess, a more modern example. I guess I could think of. I, I definitely see what you're saying, though. Like, I, I can, you can almost think of the same thing a bit with a with maybe the Iron Giant because it talks about some pretty mature stuff too. Speaking of Brad Bird, yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't get as dark, but I mean, it is. It's definitely not. Like it's a movie that kids could watch, but it's not trying to aim at kids necessarily. Yeah, kids isn't the the main the main it's like a it's a general audience kind of thing um but both of these movies are definitely very interesting they're both really great examples of what they want to be of course Maltese Falcon set the standard uh for these detective stories and um I'm glad we could finally talk about a Bogart movie I think Maltese Falcon's a great one to talk about Mm -hmm. because it's not quite at the level of like Casablanca like classic fame but it's pretty darn close and yeah. it, it really is just like a trend-setting trend kind of movie. And then, you know, Roger Rabbit's just a great movie. And it's been a while since I've watched Roger Rabbit, honestly. So, you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to rewatch Roger Rabbit. I mean, I've never seen Maltese Falcon, uh, as, as it's been plainly stated. And, and you can almost argue I still haven't seen it, because I still have no clue what really happened to it. <laughs> Dude, I've seen but, that movie but... probably like 20 times, and I'm like... Every time I'm like Floyd Thursby, wait, oh yeah, and then Commodore, what? Who? There's a bird. <laughs> there's a there's, a, there's bird. a bird. There's a guy named Sam Spade, and there's a fat man who's named Gutman, <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> and he looks like the silhouette of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> that's all. That's like the first thing I think of. But it was definitely like I. F- it was one of those movies that because I've watched and have experienced so much film noir that i feel like i i could recognize so much from it it's like when you watched uh, good the bad and the ugly like there there was so many elements in that movie exactly you, know, that you could recognize especially out of tarantino's work it's there's just there's just so much in it that you're like i've i definitely especially when you read so many comics and you know all that stuff you just see these elements constantly and so that was i mean that was a lot of fun to watch it even if again it was just it was hard to like kind of grasp onto it a bit, but uh, I would I I would probably watch it again just to get gain some sort of insight. And, and you know what the good news is? It's only like a hundred minutes. Like both of these movies are pretty short too, as like a double feature. They're each a hundred minutes long. You know, you're in and out. You know, in a little more than three hours for two movies, but that's still pretty good. And they're both it's really quick good in movies. pace, yeah. And I mean, I, I I mean, I grew up with Roger Rabbit on that note, and so like I I, I love that movie, and I watch I, I try to watch it every now and then just because it's 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 one of those fun sort of like uh kind of get your mind off things kind of movies a little bit, and you're also just having a good time with all those characters, mm-hmm. and you know even Doom is who's scary as he is, you know I still enjoy watching him, and like Christopher Lloyd's performance is fantastic. I do want to briefly mention some other like film noir that people could watch um, if they want if they're interested. I mean, I'll, I'm more on the comedic side of things. Dead men don't wear plaid. I'm a champion for that movie. 
it was Steve, Steve Martin. Uh, <laughs> a great, just really funny movie. And I know we have it scheduled on the podcast at some point, and I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, but as far as like regular uh, film noir, Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum is a terrific movie. Um, really, really great stuff. Uh, Robert Mitchum, Kirk Douglas, and um, also, what was, what was another one? The Big Sleep I mentioned. That's also yeah. very much in that category of I feel so confused right now, but I'm really digging the hell out of the atmosphere. And then Kiss Kiss Me Deadly, which is, that's a wild movie. And that, oh man, that is a wild, wild movie. But folks, what are some of your favorite like detective stories, film noir, um, are you fans of Roger Rabbit? You know, what's your favorite Bogart movie? Please let us know. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We each have letterboxes. Check out the YouTube channel, particularly Richard's Cinematic Blind Spot series and his new installment about Fast and Furious. Remember, this show it's is all about, about family. It's all about <laughs> yeah, yeah. family. I love, that we were on the, I love that we were on the same damn page. By God, sir. <laughs> you are really are a man of family. <laughs> Yes, now tell your family to grasp their fingers behind their neck. <laughs> Remember, family... It wasn't family me, always. Eddie! <laughs> <laughs> Please, say my Please. family! I just want to make families laugh! <laughs> On that note, we better wrap it up before people just... <laughs> We're like, what is, hap- what is happening right now? All right, We need to turn wraps- this show off. That wraps it up. Check us out next week, hopefully. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Love the music. You guys are amazing. I love you so much. And, of course, a hint to next week's double feature... We are going to be talking about two, count them, two mummies. Stay tuned.